Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Labor Day, September 2nd. It is the Monday after the first weekend of college football, minus the Notre Dame-Louisville game that is going to come on tonight. Uh, But a lot of stuff to uh, get to, especially with the Virginia Tech Hokies, Tim. A lot of stuff going around in the ACC. But uh, first off, what's going on with you? It was a... Well, let me let me think about how to phrase this. It was a college football weekend, and for that, I am grateful. Uh, you know, obviously, performances outside of Virginia Tech, we had some good games all across college football, some surprising results. Uh, the SEC East is complete garbage, and that's always uh, heartwarming. Uh, seeing Tennessee lose when Virginia Tech loses always helps me out a little bit, brightens my spirits. Uh, but it was just great to be doing what you do on a Saturday in the fall, man. And I'm really happy it's back and, you know, uh, excited to talk about it here on the pod. Yeah, you know, I was uh, wrapping up vacation, one one final stop in Denver. Um, so I didn't get to watch as much football as I normally would on on opening weekend, but um, you know, just coming back from that vacation mode and back in Chicago, it's uh, it's gonna you know probably suck come Tuesday when I have to go back to work. But you know that's just part of the vacation life. But uh, Tim, you know, one thing that you and I both love is baseball, right? Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. you know, I've got a mission, a personal mission to to visit all thirty MLB cities or or stadiums really and the disclaimer is you know like hey you know i've been to turner field but atlanta's got a new stadium well i i add atlanta to my list because i've been to atlanta you know recently and their stadium has since updated i've been to old yankee stadium not new yankee stadium i count being to to the yankees so we're out in california for a little vacay action and uh you know last weekend we go to the san diego padres game and Pecco, Pecco Park, beautiful, beautiful park. You know, you got Manny Machado. You know, he's his face is everywhere. I'm an Orioles fan, so you know it was kind yeah. of uh, kind of bittersweet, but good to see him in action. And uh, get in there, sun's kind of directly on us, which was unfortunate. And um, you know, I'll just go ahead and say that my daughter was probably a little bit jet lagged. Um, yeah. And uh, she she didn't make it very far into the game, Tim, before <laughs> she got her foot stuck in the seats about four, five, six, maybe seven times. Uh, and then demanded to kind of be out on the concourse walking around. And I sure. uh, I then received a picture where, with her lying uh, flat on her back um, on the cement <laughs> flooring in a, nice. in a public space. So. Unfortunately, it was time to go, <laughs> you know, yeah, only, that uh, happens. only got through a few that innings at, at Petco, but, you know, she allowed us to stay, stay through the entire game, um, at, uh, at the Angels. So that was good. I got uh 21 and 22 checked off my list. I'm only got eight more to go. Um, I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. That'll be a cool thing to uh, hang your hat on. You'll just have to make sure you stay up to date uh, when these new stadiums come to fruition. Uh, Make sure you keep going to those new ones. But yeah, uh, Petco, one of the most uh, beautiful looking parks on the television uh, that I can remember seeing. It looks really, really cool. Yeah, but just, you know, it's just a reminder that I've basically lost all control. Oh, yeah. Lost all control. Yeah. this is life now. Yeah. Man. So like she was eating a crayon this afternoon and I, I thought maybe I should try a crayon. Maybe maybe I'm the weirdo. I don't know. Yeah. I will see it. Maybe it tastes good. Who knows? Yeah. So like we said, 
Football season's back, Tim. And we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it. So we're going to talk about Virginia Tech first, and then we're going to go around the ACC and talk about the rest. But, you know, everybody, it's that time of year where if you're a Virginia Tech fan, your hopes get up and, uh, you know, you're expecting big things. You go into the game, you got a lot of returning starters. You know, you're expecting kind of a new-look defense, at least a more experienced, more disciplined defense. You're expecting big things from the offense with Ryan Willis, the fifth-year senior, leading the way. You know, is he going to take that next step this season? Is he going to be, you know, more secure with the football, somebody that the offense can rely on as a leader? What's the rushing game going to look like? How's that offensive line going to be working? I'd say the one positive of the offense was the receiving core, which is kind of what we expected, was a strong receiving core. But, um, Tim, I got to tell you, the most obvious takeaway, and I'm going to put on my Captain Obvious uniform here, you got to hold on to the football. And Ryan Willis has to be smarter. I mean, it's just there's there's really nothing else around it. And so I'm not going to overreact too much because it's week one. And what happened in week one last year? We go on the road to Tallahassee. We knock off Florida State 24 to three. They don't even score a touchdown. And we end up not being a very good team. They end up not being a very good team. So right. I, I think right. my biggest takeaway from the game is maybe Boston College is a little bit better than I expected them to be. I also think maybe Steve Adazio does a better job than Justin Fuente of getting his team ready to go out of the offseason into a week one regular season game. At least that's what it looked like on the field this week. That's um, really tough to argue, but... You know, Anthony Brown looked really good. You know, Virginia Tech didn't really get beat by the run until, like, the last, you know, critical play of the game before the knee downs uh, started. But, sure. you know, what was your what was your biggest takeaway, your most obvious takeaway? And then, you know, maybe we'll hit on some of the more positive ones because I feel like this one will be a little bit negative. Well, you know, I, I think I'm going to differ on the most obvious uh, only because you obviously chose what I think anyone would have chose that watched that game, which is, uh, Fuente preaches ball security, yet he rides with a quarterback who's shown uh, tenuous at best results in that category. Um, mine was that, man, our defensive line cannot get pressure on the quarterback, and that is going to be a yeah. real, real big issue um, because I don't think it's necessarily fixable. Uh, the issue with our defensive line to me, and I watched a lot of ACC games this weekend, the ones I didn't see live, I watched condensed games on YouTube, we have probably the least physically imposing looking defensive line I've seen in the ACC. Um, yeah. And that's concerning. It, it's a problem that we knew going in. It's We don't necessarily have a bunch of great recruits on that side of the ball, especially on the line. Um, but strength and condition being what it is, it's not like any of these guys have had a long time in Hillgard's system. But it really shows in their lack of ability to get a push uh, on the pass rush. And, and it's, it's not – you can't just snap your fingers and have guys put on 20 pounds of muscle. Um, I don't know what we're going to do in that regard. But you, you see the effect it has on our pass defense um, because there's nothing you can do. You can't get to the quarterback. You're going to get shredded through the air. Yeah, I mean, that was that was almost like an immediate, like, okay, you know, our, our pass defense isn't going to be super great because Zay Flowers comes out opening drive and oh, yeah. and just runs by everybody. And, you know, that kid's going to be pretty good. He's a, he's a freshman. He was a big-time recruit for Boston mm-hmm. College. I think they've got a, uh, a star in the making there. My big takeaway from the defensive line was, yes, 100% agree. They 
they were just getting dominated by that Boston College offensive line. They got right. absolutely no push. And what that did was it put more pressure on the linebackers to put more emphasis onto the secondary because the secondary wasn't holding up in the back end. So you weren't able to blitz as much as you maybe typically would. Right. Um, at least that's the way it felt in the first half there. One thing I'll say about the defensive line is we had all freshmen playing for multiple points of the game with Javon Becton, Mario Kendricks, Narelle Pollard, Eli Adams. Right. You know, that's that's tough. You know, we had Tawan Gabbert. He, he left the game after a blindside hit after the first drive, didn't return. You know, Rob Porsche didn't travel with the team because of injuries. So right off the bat, they were down two guys, two pretty critical pieces of that defensive line in an already very thin position. That's something they're going to have to figure out because injuries are going to happen. So how are they going to work through that? I think as these guys get a little bit more experience, you know, who's really going to step up? What are we going to see out of Jared Hewitt? What are we going to see out of Belmar? Like somebody's really got to own it and – you know, not to jump ahead to the last play of the game, but the third, the third nine, with all the all Virginia Tech had to do was stop them. They were out of timeouts. Third nine, you know what's going to oh, happen. Man. Yep. Bud right Foster says, Bud Foster in the post game presser, he says, Boston College was set up in a power run formation. All we had to do was fill the gap, and the message I got from upstairs was that the guy who was supposed to fill the gap was out of position. At the mm. same time, they missed three tackles. Right. So, there were people there to make the hit. So, You know, I agree. They ran right up the middle when you know exactly where that ball is going. What happened there? Why does that happen? Yeah. So right. my, my positive takeaway of this game, Tim, is, you know, last year defensively we really struggled with second-half adjustments. And it oftentimes felt like we'd either come out the same or worse than what we had been in the first half. That's right. And that just wasn't the case this week. So the defense gives gives up 356 yards in the first half, 7.9 yards per play, okay? But only 76 yards in the second half, averaged 2.5 yards per play. Anthony Brown only threw for 17 yards the entire second half. Right, Okay. right. The one scoring drive they had, they rushed for 9 out of the 10 plays on the 56-yard drive. And that really started to kind of wear down this defense. And again, 10 plays, 56 yards, not a super great drive from the defense, but it was the one scoring drive that Boston College had where, you know, you give up 28 in the first half. That certainly wasn't all on defense, Tim, because the offense and the special teams, specifically Hezekiah Grimsley, you know, made a bonehead decision, fumbled the ball, put Boston College in beautiful field position, And they got 14 points right at the end of the first half that really kind of made this game a little bit far out of reach. My negative takeaway is, you know, last year Fuente made sure towards the latter part of the season that he would point out that it's not always the play calling, it's execution. Sure. Okay. Down the stretch, specifically – on that last offensive drive, where it's 35-21, and you're down 14 points, they're running the ball with three minutes to go. Right. And you have two timeouts left because you had to call a timeout two minutes into the third quarter because the offense wasn't on the same page. That's right. So 
that situation right there reminded me of the clock management issues that UVA had in the Virginia Tech UVA game last season, where yeah. it was just like you're watching the game and you're like, what in the hell is going on on that sideline? That would make you think that running the ball in this situation is a positive because they had proven the entire game they couldn't run the ball. Right. Okay. They didn't even break 100 yards rushing against a brand new defensive line for Boston College. Okay. This is the same defense that returned that had 11 all ACC players from last season. Right. Okay. So that's, that's the bigger thing. Virginia Tech was planning to come to this game, run the ball. That didn't happen. A lot of that was probably because they were down by 21 points at, or 14 points after halftime. But. I, I, what what was your take on some of the play calling there towards the end? It really just kind of throughout the game. Well, I'm very frustrated by it. But look, you can look at the the yards our offense game is somewhat respectable, uh, looking at about 450 total yards. But if you're averaging 2.8 or even 2.3 yards a rush, and you're still rushing 42 times, you need to figure out how to be effective on the ground. If you it, it, not even to open up the passing game, the passing was working. At this point, I'm almost to the, to, you know, to the side of or erring on the side of, okay, well, let's just throw the damn ball. Uh, let's just go completely air raid if this is what we're going to trot out there. And really, it's, the, it's not an offensive line issue. Um, it's a scheme issue. And, and I get so tired of watching our runs take this seemingly forever to develop in the backfield. I don't know if we're trying to run read options or if these just are you know, delayed – uh, handoffs out of the shotgun or whatever tempo that we have when we're running our plays just seems completely off when it comes to our runs. It's frustrating. Uh, I don't know what they want to do. I don't know, you know, what Cornelson sees as an effective way to get the ball moving. But if there's one thing he's proven over his entire tenure at Virginia Tech is that he cannot produce a prolific running game or even an effective running game. Let's not even call it perfective. Perfective. Sorry. Let's not even call it effective. Uh, let's just call it maybe proficient. He, he has shown no ability to get anything done to move the meter in that. And that's totally concerning to me because if you want to come out here and win ball games and you're going to do it in a balanced offensive system, but you're not able to be effective on the ground, it's never going to work. And that's what's concerning to me considering how good our offensive line is on paper. That there, there's no way that offensive line should have any trouble getting an effective running back behind it. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the frustrating things in the game for me was how Kashawn King was utilized because he seemed to me to be the most effective of any running back that we had on the field. No question. Okay, but he just got spot handoffs. And then basically for almost the entire fourth quarter, just going off of memory, he was gone. Yep. He wasn't on the field. It was just Deshaun McLeese, and McLeese had, you know, the tripsies. Every time he touches the ball, he's on the ground like a half yard later. Right. And I like Deshaun McLeese, but I've never liked him as a feature back. And Jalen Holston goes out injured. He's had durability issues over the course of his career. You know, who's going to be the guy to take the lead? It felt like King is going to be our best option going forward to be that workhorse back that Virginia Tech needs in the backfield. Where was Terrius Wheatley yesterday? Yeah. Did he did he step on the field? No. Nope. I, I I didn't hear his name called one time. Doesn't have any kind of stat line. Nothing. He I don't even know if he was on the sidelines to be honest. So I just don't know what we're trying to do from a running perspective. I understand why we didn't run the ball a whole lot in the second half. 
And then I don't understand why we tried to run the ball with three minutes to go down 14 with two timeouts left. Yeah. So you can preach execution all you want, Fuente. Something's got to change with the play calling and just the strategy, the whole strategy aspect of the play calling. Like, let's be a little bit more intelligent with what we're doing. We really only sh- saw one real shot down the field the entire game yesterday. Right. And, and what happened? It was, what, how long was that touchdown pass? Oh, geez, I it don't was know. Huge. It was a it was, long It was one. a bomb. You know, they, they got behind the secondary, and the, the frustrating part about yesterday is there were plays that were set to be made that were left out on the field because Ryan Willis was just reading everything incorrectly. And that was that's a theme that's carried over from the 2018 Virginia Tech team. It seemed that every time we wanted to go vertical with this offense and we really wanted to try to go down the field, it ended up successful more times than not. But for whatever reason, we stayed in a generic conservative spread offense um, that Cornelson has fallen in love with. And I'll say it again, it's just infuriating to see us not try different things it feels like this offense has tried to do the same thing now for three seasons without success and i just i wish there was some way that we would mix this up do something different if we're going to value ball control and we're going to be that kind of team then why is ryan willis our starting quarterback well it brings up a valuable point tim but here's here's why hendon hooker has never completed or even attempted a pass in a virginia tech uniform Right. Okay. So we have no idea from a fan perspective other than what we've seen in the spring game, which doesn't mean Jack. Okay. We have no idea what Hendon Hooker would look like on the field as an actual quarterback. He's shown some ability to run. Granted, the one big run that he had was last year. The one play went for like 60 yards to the house. Other than that, he's got three other rushing attempts over the course of his career. Quincy Patterson is the only quarterback outside of Ryan Willis on the roster that has actually completed a pass. Yeah. That's on Virginia Tech's active roster. So we just, we don't know who's behind Ryan Willis. And the fact is, Ryan Willis won the job. And the game was on the line yesterday. I understand pulling him there would have maybe been a little, I, I don't know if it would have been the right call. I don't know if it would have been a bad call. But he's got to show improvement over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, okay, you're playing Old Dominion, you're playing, you know, Furman, and then you got Duke at the end of September. So we're, we're not really going to be too sure until that Duke game and then Miami right after that about, you know, how Ryan Willis is progressing as a right. route reader. Right. Because I think that's the primary issue is it, it's not just reading routes. He, he seemed to really struggle on, should I – give this read option up or should I take it? And a lot of the right. times he was mis- misreading that situation as well. well so there was just, it yeah. just seems like he's very unsure of his surroundings. Well, that's the part I'm really like, that, that's my main frustration was the offense is it's okay. It's Ryan Willis. What it just for, for figure out a way to get the run to the line of scrimmage quicker, because it, nobody's falling for the Ryan Willis read option, nor should they. If I'm a defensive player, I'm not keying on Ryan Willis. I'm going to sit on that that running back every single time, and I'll still have time to get over to Ryan Willis if he ends up keeping it. It's just there are read options that are performed correctly, and the timing is right. Ours have not been right for two seasons. Even when Josh Jackson was the quarterback, we ran the most frustrating read option offense in the history of college football. Um, 
you know, I see these teams lining up in the, you know, pro formations, pistols, in these lines, you know, these running backs are going straight to the line of scrimmage and wasting no time. At the very least, if we can't figure out how to run out of the gun, I'd like us to try some more direct uh, variations of handoffs to get the ball going. Because I don't think the running backs are that bad either. Uh, it's it's really one of those things where I see talent on this team. And that's why it's so frustrating uh, to see. I mean, 2.3 yards a carry against that Boston College de- off our defensive line. Where are we going to be for the rest of the year? And if this was just a problem that that uh, reared its ugly head now, I wouldn't be as worried. But the fact that this is three seasons in and we're still talking about how frustrated we are with the Virginia Tech rushing game, man, that's a tough pill to swallow, especially considering where Virginia Tech's been over the years when it comes to running backs. Well, you know, it's just the other frustrating aspect is Ryan Willis had the most carries of anybody on the team yesterday. Yeah, that's not ideal. That cannot happen the no. rest of the year. That just should never happen. No. Okay, I don't care what the split is. If Ryan Willis has 13 carries and your next guy has 11, well, something's astray. Right. Okay, I mean, you, that means you don't have an identity in a rushing game, and it, it, and it looks that, like that. That's it. That's it. We don't have an identity, and that was my, that was my comment on this podcast uh, talking about this upcoming season is that we needed to establish an identity. We still don't have one. We don't know what we do. We have no idea. We certainly try to run the ball, but we don't do it well enough to say that's our identity. Well, we thought um, we were going to be really effective at throwing the ball and, sure, and being a dynamic sure. passing offense, but then you well, know, week we, one happened. Yeah, but then, so. then we throttle ourselves when it comes to our offense, and it seems like we play conservative out of fear of losing the ball is what it seems like, yeah. and we still lose the ball. So, so go ahead. Sling it. Let's throw it downfield if that's what we're going to do. Um, but we need to figure out and get out of this middle ground of, no, we're a conservative team that's going to control the clock, or are we a team that has a good quarterback with a decent arm and amazing skill position players who's going to air it out a little bit? That's where I land. I'm tired of being in this no-man's land. Let's establish an identity, okay? You can go. I don't care what you do. Just figure it out and do it well. But as you mentioned, that's one of my main complaints is Ryan Willis led the team in carries. You, yeah. you cannot do that. Not with a guy like Ryan Willis. If we had Hendon Hooker in there, and I don't know what kind of runner QP is, but QP may be a good runner as well. I know Hendon can run extremely well. If he's you know running your read option offense and he's leading the team in carries, I'm fine with it. But a guy like Ryan right. Willis does not need to be leading the team in carries. Yeah, that's that's the thing. If, if you've got a Hendon Hooker back there, or you got a Quincy Patterson. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe they are leading the team in, in carries just because they're going to be more active with the football. It's going right. to be a lot more read options. It's going to be less throwing. But that's that's not what we have here in Ryan Willis. And no. we have a dynamic group of wide receivers that oh, performed yes. very well yesterday. Hezekiah Grimsley, four catches for 98. 55-yarder was the length mm-hmm. of that touchdown. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, Tavion Robinson, six catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown in his debut. He looked great. Caleb Smith, former walk-on, now scholarship athlete, four catches, 62 yards, got his first touchdown. James Mitchell also caught two passes for 22 and a touchdown. So, I mean, the ball was being moved around. I didn't even mention Trey Turner, who was on and off the field with what I assumed to be cramps. Um, And, you know, that's something that happens uh, at at this stage in the game, um, or at least of the season. So, you know, we get uh, Damon Hazleton back either – you know, the next couple of weeks, you know, we, we've got a group of wide receivers here that, that can make things happen. We just, we just got to be smarter with the football from the quarterback standpoint and you can't have four turnovers from that position. So 
Yeah, and I mean, that's really kind of all I've got for this game. You know, one thing I do want to point out, Tim, is Rayshard Ashby. Oh, my God. That guy is just, he's hes a freak of nature. I mean, he's everywhere on the football field. And to be honest, like, without him leading the way on defense, like, I, I'd feel pretty, I'd be pretty un, uneasy about, you know, kind of what to expect because. Oh, no doubt. You know, he he was in on almost every single play. Our safeties played well. Reggie Floyd had a touchdown-saving hit um, at one point in the game where, you know, there was basically nobody covering the receiver, and he runs across the field and knocks the ball out of the guy's hands. Right, but, right. You know, like, Rayshard is definitely the anchor of that defense, and, I mean, I think we'd be remiss not to mention his performance yesterday. Yeah, and I know this is going to sound like, oh, it's our take on the Hokies and it's almost 99% negative, but I do, Rayshard for sure, positive shout out. What I said about the defensive line and, and them not look looking physically up to snuff is the exact opposite for Rayshard. Rayshard looks like he's ready uh, to start a game in the NFL at this point. Um, Speed-wise, instincts, it's all there with him. Um, you know, he moves well for a, a linebacker of his size, and I think just... He, he he jumps out at you in a way that other players don't on defense. Um, so that's good. Another guy I wanted to shout out to, I thought James Mitchell looked really, really, really good. Uh, you know, he's a guy who, who's listed as a tight end, obviously, but he moves like a wide receiver. Um, there were some, there were some good, you know, some good stuff to be had in that game. It's just unfortunate that we saw some of the same issues that plagued this Hokie team last year show up again. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you mentioned being negative. I really, you know, I went into this, you know, saying I was not going to be negative, and I, I really don't think I was. I think I'm pointing out the obvious that is uh, no very yeah. easy to see. So maybe that's another good thing. Is you know, last year there was just so many issues we had. You know, you kind of come away from from week one against Boston College. Yeah, you know, if we don't turn the ball over and we don't, you know absolutely unravel in the final eight minutes of the first half and you know give boston college the ball within 30 yards of their own end zone uh and they score two touchdowns yeah maybe we win the game you know maybe not right but there was also a couple of times where willis just threw two interceptions and you know deep in boston college territory and took away chances for points of at least a field goal so you know any any of those opportunities you know all of that adds up not saying we would have won had had that, you know, happened that way, but the likelihood of winning would have been much higher than than it was having to depend on, you know, a defense to get three stops against a pretty solid rushing team, which they should have gotten because it was third and nine. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, they were still only going to have about a minute to drive down the field and get a touchdown. So, you know, is what it is. Uh, it's week one. Uh, sloppy things need to be cleaned up. Uh, Ryan Willis needs to protect the ball better. Rayshard Ashby just needs to keep being Rayshard Ashby. And, uh, you know, I think the defense, I think if they play like they do in the second half or they did in the second half, I think things should be pretty good. But I also think yeah. if you're going to be realistic as a Hokie fan, you know, every game in the ACC this year is a 50-50 toss-up until proven otherwise. Agreed. So I don't feel comfortable about anybody. That includes Duke. That includes North Carolina. That even includes Georgia Tech. Until I see a team play more consistently, week in and week out, it's a 50-50 toss-up. So, you know, that's an okay place to be, I guess, at this point in the season. Uh, Work some things out, but uh, you just got to go out and prove it on the field. So, 
That is it for the Hokies. Let's go around to the ACC, Tim. So sure. we've got... Let's let's jump back to uh, week zero, Miami and Florida. So we didn't talk about this game intentionally. We were going to save it for this week. I thought Jaron Williams looked pretty good, and he was in a tough yeah. tough game, first start of his career against a uh, pretty strong Florida defense. Uh, my biggest takeaway for him was he needs to learn how to throw the ball away. Took too many sacks. You know the offensive line obviously needs to perform better, um, but I think some of those sacks could have been could have been avoided and I think that's something he'll learn uh you know they're really not taking a lot of shots down the field it's a lot of dinking and dunking um and it you know started that way it looked very scripted to kind of start the game they got a little bit more uh a little bit more flashy towards towards the latter part of the game but really Tim the offense for Miami it looks like it's gonna you know live and die with DJ Dallas who who looks like he's going to be a star oh sure yeah for sure uh, a lot of Wildcat was being run. So uh, DJ had a couple of big plays out of the Wildcat. We even saw Mr. Uh, Tathan Martell, our favorite, uh, our favorite <laughs> yeah, transfer target um, that that was granted permission to play. Um, running uh, the Wildcat and also running out of the slot. Um, and honestly, you know, it felt like Miami was going to win the game for a while. Uh, but then that Jeff Thomas muff punt really kind of hurt. It led to Florida scoring a touchdown to go back up. But then, uh, you know, DJ Dallas got him back in the game. My biggest thing with this was a team like Florida gave Miami so many chances to win the game down the stretch because they were being so careless with the football, specifically, you know, ill-advised passes by Felipe Franks. And Miami was still unable to take advantage. So I don't know how much weight to put on that. I think Miami will be a tough opponent this year for any team in the ACC. They definitely have a shot at the Coastal. Um, I like Jaron Williams. I think he's probably going to end up being their best quarterback that they've had there in a very long time. Um, And that defense looks like it's going to be pretty good. My biggest question mark for them is that offensive line. Absolutely. It was a complete disaster against Florida. The number of penalties that were called in that offensive line were inexcusable. The number of penalties that were called in the game for both teams was unbelievable. Uh, it was an extremely sloppy oh, yeah. game. It was very difficult to really watch in the second half. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of things need to be cleaned up for Miami. I think they'll probably get that worked out through the you know early part of September. But um, yeah, they're going to be a tough out. That's kind of what I came away with from this game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, same thing I came away with. Again, the offensive line, you hit on it, looks really shaky. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of talent at the uh, skill positions. DJ Dallas obviously hops off the tape when you watch them play. I think Jaron's going to be fine. Uh, he seems to make some pretty good throws, and they were fairly conservative with the play calling, understandably so with him. Obviously, his offensive line didn't help him, and I thought he uh, shined even in the face of that uh, bad offensive line play. Uh, Their defense looked good. Um, You know, the game played out exactly like I thought it would, which was a slightly sloppy uh, affair. And I I thought Miami would win. They just missed it. They probably should have won or should have won. The the muff punt really, really, uh, they paid the price for that. But uh, great performance for them. I I thought if you're starting a a new quarterback, all things considered, going against a, a top 15 program like Florida, um, you know, great result. Now is Florida really as, 
as highly ranked as, as they actually are in actuality. No, they should be much lower ranked. We know that uh, based on what we saw. But, uh, yeah, still fun to watch. It was great to bring football in that way. I thought it was cool to have such a good game out front. And, uh, yeah, Miami, just as good a shot as anybody right now to win the wide open Coastal. Yeah, and with how the rest of the SEC East performed this week, Tim, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I guess oh, Florida yeah. probably will maintain that ranking just because you have to have at least a minimum number of SEC teams ranked. You do. You do. So that's, it that's is a rule. written in the bylaws of the NCAA. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a rule. Uh, Boise State, Florida State, Tim. This one was kind of a shocker for me. Florida State goes down 36-31. They were up 18 points. Yep. And we actually chatted during this game. We're like, you know what? I told you. I told you Florida State could have maybe 10 wins this year. Yep. And then they pulled a Willie Taggart Florida State. And Boise State, led by two stud freshmen, their quarterback, Hank Backmeyer, a true freshman, winds up going for over 400 yards, the most ever by a first-time Boise State starter. He was 8 of 12 on third down mm. conversions, and every one of those completions resulted in a first down. Incredible. How's that for efficiency? That's that's clutch and efficient. Another guy who had a great game for Boise, another freshman, Robert Mahone. This guy had 142 yards rushing. Uh, he was almost really kind of unstoppable towards the latter part of the game. Oh, yeah. Uh, they really kind of wore uh, Florida State down with the rushing game. Really, you know, with that third quarter... Um, with the uh, two fumbles on back-to-back drives for Florida State, you know that just kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. They they just seemed kind of like out of it, just like defeated almost to me. Like they just weren't matching the energy level that they had in the first half, yeah. where they were up twenty-four-six at one point. James Blackman had three touchdown passes. He looked great, and then only throws for sixty-eight yards in the second half. So it's like, yeah. you know, FSU. I, I don't know. I just don't know how to read this team. It's like, you know the talent's there. You know, it's it's in them to succeed, but then, you know, that you can't be blowing an 18-point lead in a game that's in your yard to a true freshman quarterback at a non-Power 5 school. I, I, I don't know yep. how to put it any, any lighter. It just cannot happen. No, it, it can't happen. And it was, you could almost feel it. You know, when they got the big lead, they got the 18-point lead. It seemed like everything was going great. That offense didn't feel like it could be stopped under uh, Kendall Bryles. Blackman looked rejuvenated. Uh, you know, Scary Terry was out there doing his thing, tormenting the secondary of Boston, or Boise State. And then out of nowhere, this feeling sort of crept in as you were watching it that it felt like Florida State had mentally lost the plot. As soon as Boise State scored those, that first set of points to start their comeback, it was almost like Florida State reverted to the Florida State of last year that quit at times, uh, and, and they just kind of submitted to Boise State and whatever they wanted to do. It was strange because they started out so strong, uh, but mentally I think that they are – I don't want to say they're weak because honestly that sounds kind of more negative than I want it to, but – surely there's some mental strengthening that needs to happen on that team before they're going to be able to get back to where they were. Um, I'm not going to back off my prediction. I think they're going to be a nine-win football team just based on that offense alone. Um, But, yeah, that was not a good look uh, starting out the season in that way, and the fans are extremely toxic in Tallahassee. Well, they they just need to learn how to play four quarters. 
And it's this has just been a consistent issue under Willie Taggart. So, I I mean, I, I don't really know what to say. I mean, they, they were the more talented football team. I will say that. I think that was pretty obvious oh, yeah. on the field. I mean, obvious. they completely dominated the Boise State front to start the game. You know, Bachmeyer was running for his life. I think he had been sacked like four times. He just seemed like he was constantly being forced out of the pocket. And then all of a sudden, that just stops happening, you know. Boise State starts controlling the game with uh, with the run, and next thing you know, Florida State blows an 18-point lead, doesn't score another point, and, uh, yeah, starts the season 0-1. So another disappointing start for Florida State fans. Uh, they're not going to get any more patient. Uh, Willie's going to need to ring off a few victories here, so we'll we'll see what happens for old Willie. But it's uh, the, the light's starting to look pretty, pretty yeah. dim for him at the end of yep. the tunnel. Uh, so, question for you, Tim. Is Mac Brown officially back? I think so. I think beating well, an SEC team on a neutral field would probably qualify. Yeah, I I gotta tell you, I did not see that one coming. No. And uh, you know, he was actually he in typical Mac Brown do it up fashion, holding back tears during a sideline interview. Then he's dancing in the locker room. Oh, yeah. You just, you got to love it, right? It's Mac. He's just, he's doing what he does. Uh, but you really don't have to love it because it's Mac Brown. It's, it's UNC that we're, that we're, that we're really not in love with here. But, you know, one way or the other, Sam Howell looks like he's going to be the real deal. He led two fourth quarter touchdown drives, Tim, that were 98 and 95 yards each. Mm. So. That's pretty impressive coming from a guy in his first start, true freshman, against a very formidable foe in South Carolina. And then Miles Wolfhook intercepted Jake Bentley twice in the fourth quarter. Bentley, uh, he's seen better days. The UNC offense really kind of came out of its shell, so to say, in that second half. They played very conservative in the first half. Um, And they also really dominated... uh, Dominated on the ground, 238 yards rushing on 52 carries. They just wore this South Carolina off or the defense down, and uh, you know, Mister Muschamp's got a lot of questions to answer. They've got a very difficult schedule, uh, South Carolina. That is, uh, it's not going to get any easier. So, uh, this one was one that, if you're a South Carolina fan, you expected to have. If you're North Carolina, you're looking at this with a lot of excitement around the program. You got a lot of momentum. Uh, for me, it's like it was a wake-up call that, hey, you know, maybe the Coastal isn't as bad as we thought it was. I still don't think it's going to be great. Don't want to overreact and say, you know, UNC is going to, you know, be a bowl, a bowl-eligible team this year. You know, maybe uh, if Sam Howell can play like he did in, in that game. But uh, if anything, great start to the uh, to the Mac Brown era for UNC, and we'll just kind of see where it goes from here. Yeah, I mean, if South Carolina can't stop the rush. Uh, to the tune of of that beatdown that UNC gave them on the ground, they're going to have a hard time in the SEC. You know, Mac, bet he's back. There's no question. The vibe around that football program is completely different. He's doing his best, uh, charming the media, which you knew he would do. Um, but really, what was most surprising to me was Phil Longo comes in, and you think they're installing the air raid, and then oh nope, they're just going to go ahead and rush 52 times against their first opponent. So uh, props to Phil yeah. Longo for the old okie doke there. Ran it, ran it right down their throats. And uh, of note, Tavian Feaster, a little bit over 70 yards and a touchdown on the day. Yep, one uh, great so, 
yeah, not um, you know, not a spectacular performance from him. As you said, he had the one big play, but yeah, I don't know. If I'm South Carolina, if I'm a South Carolina fan, I'm starting to maybe hit that panic button a little bit too soon. But who knows? Oh yeah, agreed. Uh, Tim, maybe the game of the week in the ACC that nobody talks about because of who it was, but Wake Forest Utah State. Oh man, what a game! It was what a game. It was Friday Night Lights. I mean, it was great. It was, it was amazing. It's what you want out of Friday Night Football because these Friday Night Football games historically have been kind of sleepers. It's like UConn right. against Rutgers. Like nobody cares. You know, you flip it on because you're, you know, a football addict and you need to watch something. Right. But, you know, they escape with Utah State. Utah State's a very solid program. Uh, you know, they are replacing a lot of guys on offense, but. You know, the school is doing this kind of like Heisman campaign for Jordan Love, who is their quarterback. He goes 33 of 48, 416 yards, three touchdowns, also had three three interceptions. But these two teams, Tim, they combined for 1,175 total yards, 53 first downs, and 73 points. Yep. And Jamie Newman is now 4-1 and one as a starter. He beat out Sam Hartman to start the year. Had a very good game, 400 yards, three touchdowns through the air, and then he got, you know, our our favorite Cade Carney adding 100 yards on the ground. Wake Forest, they're they're going to be this team. They're not going to beat you with their defense, but their offense is is sneaky good. And you know, don't look at Utah State and think, wow, Wake Forest almost lost to Utah State. Utah State is a solid opponent. You know, right. they, they they're gonna they're gonna be a bowl team at the end of the season. So, oh yeah, um, they're they're one of the best group of five teams. There's no question. And uh, you know, Mr. Love, their starting quarterback, is a really really good quarterback. Now he he obviously made some mistakes during this game, uh, but Utah State's a top five group of five team. Um, so it's you know, taking them out in the way that Wake did was was pretty strong because Wake could have easily lost that game and that would have surprised no one honestly. Yeah. Um, but you know, can we just go ahead and give Cade Carney a shout out? That guy runs like he is possessed by a demon. I mean, I've never seen a guy run as hard as Cade Carney run. Yeah. He runs pretty hard. Uh, another guy we should point out, Sage Surratt, you know, oh, yeah. seven catches, one fifty-eight, and he had the big play down the field that sure set up did. the game women's score. And, and we thought he got in and, uh, you know, they called it back, put the ball on the one and then, um, Newman hit, Kendall Hinton in there for the touchdown. So, sure, that was uh, that was a critical uh, play because that that got taken down to fourth down. So it was yeah. uh, it reminded they, me of the Virginia Tech Nebraska game of two thousand eight. It did. They wanted to sprinkle in that drama, but really cool to see Kendall Hinton come up with that last catch, um, which wasn't an easy catch. I mean, he needed to high point that ball, and for a guy who's you know seen as a slot receiver, that's not the easiest catch in the world to make. But uh, cool for him. Uh, didn't transfer. Ended up pulling his name out of the transfer portal, stayed with Wake Forest, uh, and really, really cool to see him get the deciding play like that. Uh, so, Tim, take us through NC State, who took care of business against East Carolina 34-6. to Matt McKay's first start, what did you think? Thought he looked good. He left some points on the table. Uh, certainly missed some wide receivers downfield, some tight ends downfield and passes he probably should have hit. Um, but looked good. I, I think he was a little timid on the spread option um or on the read option i'm sorry but you know made some plays uh with his feet got two touchdowns uh, made some big plays through the air too uh, nc state as a whole i thought looked pretty good offensively considering they were bringing in two new offensive co-coordinators 
Um, the, the schemes I thought looked good. The running back stable that NC State has is one of the best, if not the best, in the ACC. Uh, Bam Knight and Ricky Person are, are two extremely good running backs. Um, but if you're talking one through four, I don't think it gets better than the Wolfpack with Trent Penix uh, and Jordan Houston in the mix as well. Uh, just really, really, really good running backs there. And I thought that they, uh, they gave ECU a heck of a time. ECU, on the other hand, Holton Aylers looked like he had an okay game. He looked really good at the start of the game. Uh, after fumbling, going in for a touchdown on the first drive, he really wasn't able to do a whole lot after that. NC State's 3-3-5 defense was sneaky good. Um, were able to pressure the quarterback with only three uh, going after him at times. And when they did blitz linebackers, they were getting through like a sieve. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch the Wolfpack this year. Uh, but Matt McKay, I think, looks like a guy that could really settle in and, and have a really, really respectable first season in Raleigh. Yeah, he was just the third NC State player to throw for over 300 yards in, in his first start. Do you know who the other two were? Uh, let me see. Would that be Philip Rivers and Jamie Barnett? Philip Rivers and Harrison Beck in 2007. Wow, Harrison Beck. All right. Yeah. Boy, that yeah. guy flamed out. Yeah, that was that was my initial thought. Like, wow, okay, yeah. that's, that would not have been my guess. Right. Um, okay, Tim, let's talk about Clemson. Not a lot to talk about here. Clemson, Georgia Tech, 52-14. Uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't look, like, super crisp in no. this one. Had a couple of mistakes. Uh, of course, it didn't really matter. Travis Etienne, however, <laughs> looks like the Heisman frontrunner. Oh, this for guy, sure is insane i think he had a 90 yard touchdown run he had like a 48 yard touchdown run he had another touchdown run so um just playmakers all over the place and that's the that's the beauty of clemson right now it's you know hey trevor lawrence doesn't have a great game well guess what you know yeah you got travis Etienne in the in the in the backfield you got a bunch of receivers that can go out and make plays make him look a little better than maybe he's performing uh you know my big takeaway for this from this game, Tim, is Georgia Tech just looks like they're really struggling to find an identity um, on offense this year, and that's just because of personnel. I think yeah. we kind of expected this yeah. a little bit. Um, but it really felt like a modified version of last year's offense, um, especially with Tobias Oliver, who started the game. Um, I think he was pulled. But um, a, lot of, a lot of rushes, a lot of runs, um, not so much throwing the ball, but – it's just it's just going to be a long season for Georgia Tech. It is, you know, it's such an overhaul to make in one off season with, uh, you know, half of a recruiting class, and um, you know, I thought there were glimpses of what will be with Georgia Tech. I thought they had some good running backs, which surprise, surprise, uh, should shock no one. Um, but yeah, what are you going to do? Oliver looked okay in spots, but. This is what this is what the uh, reality is for Georgia Tech, and and it it was cool. I think, you know, Jeff Collins looks like a guy that's going to get them there. I don't think there's any concern there, and I thought the attitude of the team, even when they were down so much, was really really good. So you always like to see that. Yeah, he, I mean, he you know shook every player's hand coming off uh, the side or coming off the field after the game. Um, you know, he he definitely seems like a player's coach. So, you know, they'll get it. It's not going to be this year. Um, you know, my my thought during the game was maybe Tate Martell should have gone to Georgia Tech. Oh my gosh, Swaggy G and Tate Martell on the same sideline—that uh, would have been definitely uh, a top five uh, QB head coach combo in 2019. 
let's jump to Pitt UVA. Uh, so I was surprised to hear this first ever win at Pitt for UVA. That um, is very I, surprising. I know these two teams haven't played a whole lot over the years, just because Pitt is not a traditional ACC school, um, right. but still, nonetheless, just stood out to me a little bit. Uh, Pitt's had their numbers since joining the ACC, but UVA uh, was able to kind of take advantage of a softer Pitt team this year. Pitt was leading at halftime, uh, but UVA's D and special teams is what really kind of turned the tide in this one. Interception and the block punt in the third quarter kind of took control of the game. Uh, I came away from the offense thinking, you know, it really is just a, a the Bryce Perkins show. It's just a, he's going to do it all on offense. You know, he hit seven different receivers. Uh, had the most carries on the team by almost double. I just don't think that's sustainable. You know, we talked no. about it with Ryan Willis. Now, I expect Bryce Bryce Perkins to have many more carries than Ryan Willis, so I'm not bashing that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, if you don't have any other running backs you can hand it off to to get yards, like Perkins is, is a guy who he's going to have a lot of hits on that body towards the latter part of the season, so... That doesn't tend to work in uh, teams' favors if you're running a player into the ground that that much or that hard. So, you know, uh, added on two touchdown passes, a 30 to 14 win against Pitt to start the season. Uh, you know, Kenny Pickett didn't look particularly great in his new offense. You know, you got the Mark Whipple, you know, heavy pass attack. I'm not sure right. Pitt really has any other options according to you know what we've you know seen and heard in the off season. Uh, so they're just kind of stuck with this for now. So the other thing that I thought was notable was Pitt's offensive line didn't look particularly good. They do have four first-year starters uh, that all right. made their debut against a pretty pretty legit defense. So some work there to do in Pitt. I thought they hung in there in the first half, but just uh, just too many mistakes and, and uh, a lack of offense to really keep up or keep pace with anybody at this point. Yeah, and I mean, this is the Pitt we expected to see. I was kind of trying to figure out when we were looking at some of what the pundits were saying leading up to this game. It seemed that most were expecting Pitt to put up a really good fight against UVA. And in my head, I just kept thinking I couldn't see Pitt doing it because of what I was expecting this offense to do. So Pitt's offense looked like we thought it would. Uh, their defense looked tough at times. Um, you know, they certainly didn't get gashed too terribly by UVA's offense. Um, but the thing with, with, with Kenny Pickett is... I don't know if it's my mind playing tricks on me, but it feels like every pass he throws is 150 miles an hour. I mean, the kid has zero touch on his ball, and I can't figure out if that's intentional, but wow. I mean, watching him again, and, and I went back and watched the condensed game on this one, it just felt like every pass was hummed in there. Uh, you know, like Randy Johnson throwing a slider. I just I didn't know if that was intentional or if that's what Kenny's always been like. I couldn't remember. Um, but either way, it, this played out exactly like I thought it would. I don't think this tells us a whole lot about UVA at this point, um, but I think it does tell you quite a bit about Pitt. I think Pitt's going to have a tough year. Yeah, I think Pitt and Georgia Tech seem to be the two schools that, and Louisville, which we haven't seen yet. We'll see that tonight. Right. Uh, they're going to be the worst teams in the ACC this year, and it's probably sure. going to be Louisville, Georgia Tech, Pitt in that order. So, um, one last game to talk about, Tim, from an ACC standpoint. We've got Duke, Alabama. So, the Blue Devils, you know, they hung in there in the first quarter, uh, tied 0-0. That was something that only happened to Alabama one time in 2018, 
uh, was being shut out in the first quarter, but ended up losing the game 42-3. to uh, I mean, no, nothing really surprised me in this one. You know, this was a, a really tough, tough matchup for Duke to, to start the season after the Daniel Jones era ended up, you know, out outgained in yards 512-204. Quentin Harris didn't have a particularly great game, 12 for 22, 97 yards, two interceptions. Team only had 107 yards on the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much more for this one. You know, I'm not going to hold it against Duke. I thought, hey, they, they competed. Uh, they're well coached. You can kind of see that. Um, but, you know, they were just a little bit overmatched in this one. Yeah, and they were, as obviously everyone expected. But it definitely was noteworthy that they held Alabama to zero points in the first quarter. Uh, and, you know, you're sitting there at halftime, 14-3, to and that that's kind of noteworthy in and of itself. Um, you know, I think Duke's going to have, again, a hard time. Uh, what, what can you really do against Alabama? But still, uh, they were really, really stifled, and honestly, that's going to be a hard thing to overcome. I think their defense has potential to keep them in a lot of games, though. I liked what I saw from them, and, you know, give it up to Coach Cutcliffe. The guy is just consistent as can be, and, you know, regardless of how bad that, that the quarterback may struggle for Duke at times this year, uh, you know, I, I think they'll be pretty solid because that defense does have some playmakers. Uh, one more game I almost forgot. Syracuse. Syracuse and Liberty uh, shuts. Right. They shut them out 24 to nothing. You know, I don't know if if I'm overreacting to this or not, but you know we see Hugh Freeze coaching from a <laughs> hospital bed, yeah. and to be honest, knowing everything we know about Hugh Freeze and the type of individual he is, this was all done for the cameras. It in my totally opinion. was. No, it didn't you have know, to be. He's he's just he's one of the fakest people in college football today, and. He knew he'd have cameras there because they're playing against Syracuse. It's one of their higher-profile matchups of the season. It's a top-25 school. Right. And, man, he played it up good, too. And no, it just did. It just it kind of made me sick to my stomach a little bit because I'm like, do you, do you really need to be coaching from a hospital bed? And if you need to be in a hospital bed you shouldn't probably be coaching anyways. So it just, the whole thing felt like just staged and <laughs> fake to me, which I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, getting to what actually happened on the football field, Tommy DeVito didn't look great. 17-35, um, 176 yards, two picks. The defense is what really kind of impressed, as as usual here with Syracuse. Andre Cisco got his first interception of the year. They forced eight sacks and had 14 tackles for a loss. Oh, yeah. So, that defensive line was nasty. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, definitely going to need to see an improvement from Tommy DeVito, uh, especially with Clemson coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, but, you know, kind of a weird opener for Syracuse on the road at Liberty. Um, got away 24 nothing. I think it's a fine start to the season. Just need to see a little bit more out of DeVito. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to to draw too much from this. Again, um, I expected Syracuse to maybe come out and hit a little harder uh, from an offensive standpoint than they did against Liberty. Um, you know, everything in this game was overshadowed by Hugh Freeze coaching from a hospital bed. I mean, <laughs> the memes that have come out of that alone have been incredible. 
Um, but you know, staph infections are no joke. I don't want to make light of any of that. Uh, but still, there's just something slightly hilarious about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else from the ACC this week you want to hit on? I don't think so. Just, you know, it feels really, really good to be back. Uh, you know, just wanted to stress again. Uh, you know, I thought NC State Wake uh, looked really, really good. I, Carolina, again, really surprised what they were able to do to the Gamecocks. And, um, you know, Clemson does what Clemson does, and that's no surprise. Uh, yeah, it's just it's going to be a good season. I'm excited to see where we end up. Um, and that uh, the drama in Tallahassee is going to be fun to tune into all year. It's, it's going to be fun to tune into, Tim. And I'm not sure it's going to be as fun to tune into as what's happening in Tennessee right now. Oh, nothing could ever be that fun, Justin. So Tennessee loses to Georgia State. Go Panthers. This is, you know, we had um, we had Southern Picks get on Jim Johnson. And he pointed out specifically that Tennessee fans were thinking, yeah, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. No, no, it's not. Georgia State beats Tennessee. And uh, you got to think, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pruitt's starting to feel the heat quite a oh bit Oh, my there. gosh. Well, look, there are few things that are as unacceptable to Tennessee fans as lo- losing to a recent uh fcs team i mean they're fbs now but it wasn't long ago they were fcs at home um it doesn't get worse than that i mean neyland stadium is a giant is a monstrosity and a huge home field advantage for tennessee and even with that huge home field advantage georgia state came in and put 38 points up on tennessee and won that football game that is mind-blowing to me and no if jeremy pruitt doesn't end up with you know a nine-win season uh, in the face of all this, I don't know how much longer you're able to hang on to a guy like that. Now, even in year two, that's just that's a tough loss. That's a tough no, loss to no, bounce I back mean, from. That's unacceptable. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's borderline unacceptable. You know, for Virginia Tech, it, it have if ODU comes to our house and beats us, it'll be very similar. Um, oh, oh yeah, that'll be unacceptable. But, but man, I mean Tennessee. With, with the level of recruiting that he has been able to accomplish there and every coach before him has been able to accomplish, Tennessee recruits itself, you're going to go walk out there and, and lose to Georgia State and Neyland Stadium. It blows my mind, and I can't get enough of it. Um, one other notable, our friends out in the Pac-12, uh, USC quarterback JT Daniels, sophomore, uh, yeah. towards ACL and meniscus out for the season. Hate so big it. loss for them. He was... You know, one of the better quarterbacks in the conference, and uh, yeah, and he was looking good. He was looking yeah. good. So um, USC is a team that's got a lot of talent. Um, it looks like Keaton Slavis. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He's expected to are. take over. He's a he's a freshman. So um, we'll see what happens. Next man up, I guess. But you know, in a uh, in a big season for Clay Helton out there, that's that's a tough loss for him to have to endure this early on. Yeah, it is. I mean, his, his hot seat was already scalding. Uh, you know, they're going to need to continue to win in the face of adversity, which they can do. There's a lot of talent. Obviously, it's USC. But, yeah, you hate to see a kid go out like that in the first game. It's always tough to see those starting quarterbacks uh, get those knee injuries. Um, you know, it's one of those things that stinks about college football. But, you know, that's part of the sport. It's part of the nature of it. So, uh, you know, maybe they'll be able to bounce back and, and keep Clay in power for another year. Who knows? 
Yeah, and then just one last thing I wanted to point out. If you haven't seen it, Nevada beats Purdue on a walk-off 56-yard field goal. Yes. With a walk-on yes. kicker. And after the game, the coach hands the kicker the game ball and says, here's the game ball and also here's a scholarship. And the <laughs> locker room loses its mind. It's great. Pretty, uh, pretty awesome uh, moment. Uh, and just for really any fan of college football or just, you know, if you're a human being, <laughs> just seeing right. something like that. But, uh, yeah, go check that out if you haven't seen it. I think that happened on, like, a Thursday night. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was awesome. Uh, you don't get to see many uh, spur-of-the-moment scholarships handed out. But, man, if you're going to do it, it better be no, for something like that, man. That's something that that's typically happens in like a big auditorium in summer practice after right. a guy's like been like a hard right. worker or something. Like seeing it happen after week one and a oh, walk yeah. off fifty six yarder, that that's rare. So we we need more of that. We need more of that. And man, just you know, not to to wrap everything up. I don't know if that's the last thing you had or not, but college football had a great opening week. I thought in twenty nineteen and. Man, we are lucky, even in the face of a hokey loss, that we can sit here and we get to watch all these games, uh, you know, not only this weekend, but obviously coming up in the season. And it feels so good to be back here talking about all this. Yeah, there's no doubt. And as we mentioned before, we are going to be back uh, more often uh, as it is the regular season. So we've got our week two preview coming up on I guess it'll be released on Thursday. We're going to record that Wednesday night. So we're going to break down Virginia Tech ODU for you. And then we are also going to uh, go around the ACC and talk about each of the games coming up around the conference. So be sure to check that out. If this was your first time listening, thanks for being with us. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Um, And then, of course, if... uh, you don't have access to any of those, you can go find us at chowderandgrits.com or tweet at us. Follow us on Twitter, at chowderandgrits. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook. I sound like I'm being redundant. Chowder and Grits. Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, tell your friends. Share our content that we post on social media. Follow us on Twitter. We're trying to get that Twitter account up and running. Uh, we, you know, we're sitting at about 130 followers right now. We'd like to increase that count, so go ahead, uh, join us, and jump in on that banter that we have. And on when he Twitter. says 130, he means thousand. Thousand, yes. That's thank you for that. Uh, we got to get our units of measurement right. So yeah, please jump in, uh, get into the conversation with us. We do some live tweeting, college football games, um, sharing some hilarious stuff in college football. Everything you'd expect from a. Uh, social media account of a college football podcast Uh, again again tell your friends that's the most important thing that i can get you guys to take from this it's to tell your friends have them listen to us have them subscribe we really appreciate it and we look forward to previewing week two uh here in a couple days see you guys later